Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Gospel Record of Luke. The Gospel Record of Luke and the Gospel Record of Luke in chapter number 1. The Gospel Record of Luke in chapter number 1. We have four Gospel Records, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And I'm always careful of making sure that we say the statement, the gospel record of John. Some people will just kind of reduce and say uh, John's gospel or the Luke's gospel. But with that, we want to make sure that we don't have a distinction that there are not different gospels. There's one gospel, the gospel that Jesus, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. When we say the gospel record, what we're saying is that we're having the record from the perspective of Dr. Luke on the life of Jesus Christ, the life, the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is recording the history of the life of Jesus Christ. And so if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Gospel record of Luke chapter 1. The Gospel record of Luke chapter 1. And let's look starting at verse 1. The Gospel record of Luke chapter 1 and verse 1. The Word of God says this. For as much... As many have taken in hand to set forth in order a declaration of those things which are most surely believed among us, even as they delivered them unto us, which at the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. It seemed good to me also having a perfect understanding of all these things from the very first to write unto thee in order, most excellent Theophilus, that thou mightest know the certainty of those things wherein thou has been instructed. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the gospel record of Luke chapter 1? The gospel record of Luke chapter 1, and notice with me in verse number 3, where it is recorded, to write unto thee in order. To write unto thee in order. And if you don't mind, we're going to preach this message here as an introduction to write unto thee in order. Let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And I am so excited. I'm so thankful for the opportunity to go through the gospel record of Luke. And we're so thankful to be able to break this down, to have an understanding, to be able to go through here and to be able to see the life of Jesus Christ that has been researched, that's been set in order, that has been put to an effect for our understanding. Help us now as we introduce this gospel record that we would have an understanding of the importance of the work that was put behind it and the purpose of the writing of the gospel record of Luke. Thank you, Lord. Help me now. Fill me with your spirit. You guide, you direct, you work, and I love you. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. 
As we hit the gospel record of Luke chapter number one, the first thing I want to bring to your attention in verse number one is the declaration of those things about Christ. The declaration of those things about Christ. Notice with me in verse number one. For as much as many have taken in hand to set forth in order a declaration of those things which were more sure, most surely believed among us. Now at this time we of the writing of the gospel record of Luke. You have the Old Testament that is settled, that has been put in hand. But since then, the Lord Jesus Christ has come down on earth. He has lived his life. He lived the same life that you and I lived, went through the same temptations, the same troubles, the same heartbreaks. Then Jesus Christ died on the cross, paying our price, paying for our sin debt, was buried in a borrowed tomb, and then on the third day he rose again. Jesus spent 40 days spending with the people to show that he was alive, to give many proofs that he was risen from the dead, and then he ascended up to heaven. Now since that time, about 20 years have passed, and at this time, not much of the New Testament has been written. You have the, the book of James, which is written, one of the earliest books of the New Testament. You have the Apostle Paul, that is now starting to write some letters to the churches. You have the gospel record of Mark and you have the gospel record of Matthew. But 20 years have passed and some people have started to get some facts, some misunderstandings about who Jesus Christ is. Maybe they've gotten some wrong information. Maybe some people, have you ever played the telephone game where someone said something and they told their neighbor and their neighbor told what they thought they heard and their neighbor taught that and it got to the very end and it's a completely different message? Well, that's starting to go about. And so the gospel record of Luke is written for the purpose to, to give a declaration of Christ. To be able to explain, let me tell you the truth. Let me tell you about what really happened with the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to explain to you these things that were true. Now, Luke was used of the Holy Spirit by the inspiration of God to declare the truth in a written form to help others know the truth about Christ. Now, we know that there is an advantage of having something written, something recorded down. That means others can read it. If we have to depend on oral um, stories, and that's the only account that we have, we know that there's so much room for error to mishear things, to explain things a little bit off that was, didn't really happen. But with a written account, we have something that people could go back to and have a consistent record of. And so here we can see that the gospel record of Luke is put together to give a declaration of who Christ is, to give a written account of it. Without a doubt, there's something about the Lord Jesus Christ. People want to know about him. Even today, for those who are not Christians, there's still a curiosity about this man. Who is Jesus? That's why so many secular, non-Christian news things, the History Channel, other things, try to do, even CNN from time to time tries to do a special on Jesus. Because people have a curiosity. There's something about Jesus because he was no ordinary man. Even those news stations that don't believe that he's God still say that he was no ordinary man. There was something about him. And so because people have a curiosity, it's important that we have our facts straight. It's important that we have some kind of record to be able to explain this is what really occurred. 
And so here, the gospel record of Luke is here to give us a declaration of those things which are more surely believed among us. What is the truth about Christ? A second thing I want to bring as we introduce this is that it was delivered by many sources. Not only the declaration of those things about Christ, we could see that it was delivered by many sources. What do we mean by that? Well, notice with me in verse number two. It says, even as they delivered them unto us. Who is this them? Those in verse number one that believed among us. Even as they were delivered them unto us, which from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. Now Luke, because there was so many stories going on and the people playing the telephone game, Dr. Luke did not want to take rumor and just write about rumor. He wanted to find out what was true. So what happened is that Dr. Luke, who was a medical doctor, he was actually medically trained and licensed by Rome. He understood the importance of doing research. And whenever you do research, you can't take... um, people's opinion. You can't take what people think. You have to find out the truth. And so you go to the source. You begin to speak to the eyewitnesses. And he did this research. Now while the Apostle Paul had been arrested and put into uh, Caesarea, um, Luke began to start to speak to as many people as possible. And about 20 years after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, even a little bit before that, there was many of these eyewitnesses that were still alive. And he could go and speak to them. Now to start with, you already had the gospel record of Mark. Gospel record of Mark was a good source to use. Um, The gospel record of Mark has 661 verses. 320 of those verses appear inside of the gospel record of Luke. Why why reinvent the wheel? You go ahead and use what you have available and build upon that. And so the gospel record of Luke was a good source to start with. nearly half of the gospel record of Luke is found inside of the gospel record of Luke. But that wasn't all. He was able to access different people like Mary, the mother of Jesus. She's still alive. She's attending the church of Ephesus. Maybe she's still at Jerusalem at this time. And as we go through the gospel record of Luke, you can see that there's actually specific stories dealing with Mary that only Mary could have known. For example, it speaks about that Mary was told by an angel, guess what you're going to have? Can you imagine what experience that would be? Now, you can hear it secondhand by other people, but it's much more powerful to go to Mary and say, Mary, what happened? What occurred? Tell us more. Well, I had this announcement from, from this angel and I didn't know what to do. So I went to my cousin Elizabeth. And when I went to my cousin Elizabeth, she was expecting... Well, why is that a big deal? Because she was old, 70, 80 years old and expecting. Ladies, how would you like to be 70 or 80 years old? And not only expecting, but you know how much work it takes to be expecting? I mean, the back pain, the, 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 the uh, trying to carry around that child all the time. That's a big deal. And she goes and finds her cousin Elizabeth And the babe inside of Elizabeth leaped. And something happened there. Mary was there and said, let me tell you, this was an experience I'll never forget. Remember that when Jesus Christ was 12 years old and Jesus Christ had had 
been left behind. The rest of the people went uh, and started going home and they left Jesus and they took him three days to find him and they found him in the temple and he was in the temple talking with the lawyers, talking with the scribes, talking with the teachers and they were scratching their heads and said, how does a 12-year-old know all of this? And it said in that passage that Jesus took these sayings in her heart. You'll find that a lot in the gospel record of Luke. Why? Because he interviews Mary. And Mary says, I'll never forget the time where. I'll never forget when this occurred. I'll never forget when this happened. Mary says, it was an eyewitness and was able to explain. When Jesus Christ was on the cross, guess who was there at the foot of the cross watching? Mary. And he was able to say, Mary, tell me about this. He was able to go and give an eyewitness to the uh, Jesus Christ's half-brothers. Hey, what was it like to grow up with Jesus? Well, he was the perfect child and we'd always have. Why can't you be more like Jesus? I can't. He's perfect. By the way, one of those half-brothers was James, the writer of James. He was able to say, what was it like? Another one was Jude, the writer of Jude. What was it like? And he was able to interview them and talk about them. He had access to Philip the Evangelist. Philip who was also one of the uh, apostles of Jesus Christ. Philip, what was it like to walk with Jesus? He was able to talk and spend time with Peter. Of course, he was a follower of, of, um, of Paul as well. He also had access to Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Lazarus, what was it like to be dead? And come back. How did people treat you? Did you know that there were many people who banded together to try to kill Lazarus after he rose from the dead? Because they didn't want people to hear that Jesus rose him from the grave? Can you imagine what that would be like? To have a death sentence on you just because God rose you up? What would it be like to interview him? Hey, Mary and Martha, can you tell me a story about Jesus? Mary and Martha look at together and they kind of just grin and Martha says, oh, there was a time Jesus came to our house and my sister was at his feet just listening and I was trying to get everything done. I was cooking and cleaning. I mean, after all, Jesus is in my house. I have to make things right and I'm trying to do things and I remember looking at her and just sitting at Jesus and just, why doesn't she work? And look, why doesn't she work? And finally I went to Jesus and Jesus, make her do something. And he says, Martha, Martha, Thou were troubled about many things, but Mary hath chosen the good thing. And Luke was able to say, oh man, this is good stuff. Let me, let me record this. He was, as you go through the gospel record of Luke, you'll be able to see these eyewitness accounts that could have only come from those eyewitnesses as he's writing this together and trying to set things in order and trying to organize the thoughts and trying to put and say, man, this is great. And to be able to have access to people. This wasn't something that was written a hundred years after the fact or writing something that's 200 years ago. He had access to the witnesses that were still alive. To be able to speak to uh, some of the people that was involved here, including the Apostle Paul. Did you know the Apostle Paul and Jesus were teenagers together? The Apostle Paul had went from Tarsus and back then they went to college when they were 13. For those above 13, you ready for college? No, I'm not ready for you to go either. 
But back then they did. And so Paul went from a different country of Tarsus and came to Jerusalem to study at the temple. And he had the greatest Hebrew teacher of all time, Gamaliel, that was there. And every year when Jesus would come to the temple and talk to the lawyers, they did it every year. Gamaliel took his prize student Paul and said, man, you got to meet this Jesus guy. You got to meet this kid. He's 12 years old and he just knows so much scripture. You need to meet him. And Paul and Jesus had interactions as teenagers. And Paul was able to witness Jesus grow up. He was one of the Pharisees of the Pharisees. And he got to hear about their plans and what they did to try to arrest Jesus and put him in a legal trial. Paul was there. And he was able to say what was happening with the Pharisees, what they were thinking about. Think about that. I mean, that's a source. Paul was one of the enemies at that time. And then Jesus Christ died on the cross, and Paul was still. There's something. He knew him from the time of a teenager. Think about that. He was, and Luke was able to witness and give an account from all these people that were alive and learn about him. And while Paul was arrested in Caesarea, Luke had the freedom to go and do interviews and speak to everyone. To talk about the couples, to speak about the Holy Spirit and what God had done. And God had directed him. He also mentioned the system of how Paul or Luke was going to do this. Notice with me if you don't mind. In verse number 3, he says, And it seemed good to me, also having perfect understanding of these things from the very first, to write, the, uh, to write unto thee in order. This carries the idea that Dr. Luke wanted to do it in a chronological way. Imagine that. No wonder I like Dr. Luke. That he put together this in chronological order. He says, I want to put this in order. That's why whenever we do a systematic study of the gospel records, we use the gospel record of Luke as the proper timeline. Do you know that in the gospel record of Matthew, not everything is in order in time? It's in order by theme. And the gospel record of Mark, it has 16 chapters. 12 of those chapters start with the word and. And it almost seems like continual action. This is what Jesus did, Jesus did. But that was actually a span of three years that happened in there. And it squished it together. The gospel record of John is not written in necessarily chronological order. It's written in order for you to know that Jesus is God. And here's some evidence for it. But the gospel record of Luke is meant to be written. This is what happened first. This is what happened next. This is the chronological order of the life of Jesus Christ. It's not something that's haphazard. It's not something that's like, well, this story here and then this story here. And then let's uh, you know, put this one over here. It was meant to put it in order. It's a big research project that the gospel record of Luke, that Dr. Luke put together to let someone know about the importance of the Lord Jesus Christ. Which brings me to one more thing I want to bring to your attention. It was directed to one person. It was directed to one person. Notice with me in verse 3. And it seemed good to me also having a perfect understanding of these things from the very first. That means from the very beginning. He says, I have a perfect understanding. I've researched this. I put it in order. I've worked hard to put this in the way that it ought to go. He says, it seemed good to me also having a perfect understanding of all things from the very first to write unto thee in order, most excellent Theophilus. 
that thou mayest know the certainty of these things wherein thou hast been instructed. Now all of this letter and the, the sequel, the book of Acts, was not written to a collection of people. It was not written to a church. It was written to an individual an individual named Theophilus, that he can personally know the story of Jesus. Now, who is Theophilus? Well, as we explained on Wednesday night a little bit about his history, let me give you a little bit more. Dr. Luke started off as a slave in the Roman Empire. Remember, in the Roman Empire days, 75% of the population were slaves. And Theophilus was the master of Luke. And Theophilus saw something in his young man, this young slave. And so he said, I'm going to send him to medical school. And so he sent and paid for Dr. Luke to go to medical school. In the Roman days, they didn't just let anybody become a doctor, but they had to pass official boards and had to be certified through the organization in Rome. And Luke passed those boards and became a certified physician. But somewhere along the way, as Dr. Luke is a practicing medical physician, still a slave and working for Theophilus, Luke came to know Jesus Christ as his personal savior. And he went back to his master and said, sir, I want to tell you what happened to me. And he gave his testimony how he came to know Christ as a savior. And Theophilus said, you know what? I'm going to give you your freedom. So that way you're free to follow whatever God gives you to do. And Luke was free and he became the medical physician traveling with, doc, with Paul, keeping Paul alive. Paul went through a lot of beatings, a lot of things. He needed a doctor to keep him going. And Luke traveled with him. And during his travels, Luke said, you know what? I'll never forget what Theophilus meant to me. I'll never forget all that Theophilus did. That without Theophilus, I wouldn't be a doctor. Without Theophilus, I couldn't take care of Paul. Without Theophilus, I wouldn't have exposed to all of this stuff. Without Theophilus, and so because I love him, and because I'm concerned with him, I'm going to write him a letter. Now, may I pause? They did not have email back then. They did not have texting. They had paper and pen. And he said, I want, I care so much for this individual that I'm going to take my time and I research this together and I put it in order because I want my friend, the person that I love, the person who's invested in me, I want them to know all about Jesus. And so he said, for as much as Many have taken in hand to set forth in order a declaration of those things which were surely believed of us, even as they delivered them to us, which from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. It seemed good to me, having a perfect understanding of these things from the very first, to write unto thee, one person, in order, most excellent Theophilus. He says, I did all this research project and I wanted to put it in order because I wanted to tell you everything I could about Jesus. Why? That thou mayest know the certainty of these things. I want you to know that this is real. This isn't rumor. This isn't legend. This isn't a mythology. I want you to know without a doubt what Jesus Christ was like. To be in wherein thou has been instructed. I want you to know the certainty of these things. And so I'm going to write a letter. And I don't... When Luke is writing this, he's not expecting everyone to get a copy of this. He's not expecting it to be used as a church. He wasn't expecting it to be placed in the Bible. 
He says, I just want to be used of God to write to one person to let them know without a doubt who Jesus is. And so because of that, we have the gospel record of Luke written to a single individual. And then when he was done, he said, I told you all about what Christ did. Let me tell you what happened after Christ left and the Holy Spirit comes down and how God used the churches. Let me tell you what happened after that. And he wrote the book of Acts, a letter to one person to set an order to let them know that these things are certain. These things are true. He says, Theophilus, you know me. You sent me to medical school. You know my character. I'm not writing story. This isn't a fiction thing. You know me. You know my character. And I want you to know without a doubt, these things are true. Let me ask you, do you care enough about someone to put pen and paper and let them know without a doubt that these things are true? That the things that you learned about are true? I mean, what links are you willing to go to to let the people that you know know the certainty of these things? You know, everyone's got a story. If you come to know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you have a story. How did you come to know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? I'm thankful that I have a story. I was in Dallas, Texas. I was a little child and someone invited me to go to a vacation Bible school. Someone invited me to go to church. My family didn't go to church. I lived in a trailer park. I was a trailer park kid. And someone came to me and invited me to go to church. And so I went to church and I went to the vacation Bible school and did their games and their stories Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday, Thursday and Friday. And I remember that Friday afternoon in August in Dallas, Texas. I was, remember the pew when I was sitting in when someone came to me and told me from the Bible that I was a sinner. And I was a little kid. I didn't need to be convinced. I knew I was a sinner. I was always in trouble like little kids do. I was a boy. And he told me that because I sinned, that I had offended a real living holy God. And he told me that because I offended that God, I owed God a price. And that price was hell. And I didn't want to go there. But the preacher loved me enough to tell me from the Bible that Jesus came from heaven, died for my sins, paid the price, and rose again the third day. And that all I had to do was receive that free gift for myself. And as a six-year-old child, I listened to that story. And I remember where I was sitting at when I bowed my head and I accepted Christ as my Savior. Oh, and what God did in my life. That was amazing. And now I have a story. I know what happened to me. I know I'm going to heaven. And I could tell others what God had done for me. And I could tell someone. I could write a letter to them. I could stand up here and have a microphone and tell all of you what happened to me. Why am I telling you that? Because I want the same thing to happen to you. I want you to know that you can know without a doubt from the Bible that you're going to heaven. I want you to have a surety of these things. Why? Because of the person of Jesus Christ. You know, you could go on and explain more about what God did in your life. If you could forgive the personal illustration, but... When I got saved, praise the Lord. What now? Well, my parents didn't go to church. They didn't attend a church anywhere. 
I mean, they considered themselves Southern Baptists and they would show up every now and again. We call them C&E Christians, you know, Christmas and Easter Christians. That's the only time they show up. But they showed up every now and again. But you know, God did something weird with me. And it wasn't me, it was God. As a six, seven-year-old child, I started to read the Bible for myself. I know that's unusual, but that's what God did. And at six and seven, God started to work on my life on prayer. I'm seeing prayers answered today of things that I prayed when I was seven years old. That's what God did. That's not me. It's what God did. I'm trying to set things in order and trying to let you know the surety of these things. These things are true. And why? Because of who Christ is. Because of who he did. After that, I just started outlining my Bible because I'm a nerd. I wanted to be a scientist all of my life. And that's why I like Dr. Luke. I like research. I like studying books. I like outlining things. And I outlined encyclopedias because I was bored. I mean, it's Texas. It's hot. Human. My parents said, it's either read a book or go outside. I'm, I'm going to outline the encyclopedia. I mean, I'm a nerd. I know I'm weird. But God does things with weird people too. Praise the Lord. I like research, putting things together, organizing things together. Who knew that God could use that for something? And so working on, my parents uh, lived in Dallas, Texas, and they got tired of people. And so they decided to move where there was no people at. They, I mean, they got sick of people. So let's go to South Dakota where there's nobody. And so we moved to North Dakota. Then we moved to South Dakota. I spent my last two years of high school in South Dakota. But wouldn't you know in the trailer park that we lived in. Again, I'm a trailer park kid. In the trailer park that we lived in. It was a Baptist church on the top of the hill of the trailer park we lived on. And I said, you know, I'm supposed to go to church. And so I just told my parents, I'm going to go to that church and I'm going to go there every time the doors are open. I could walk there. You don't have to drive. You don't have to be bothered. I mean, go. Okay. So they go. And I started going and I had a preacher who started to invest into a young teenager and just love on him and try to teach him about the Bible. And I started just loving the Bible some more and growing. And I wanted to be a physicist when I grew up. I wanted to be a quantum physicist. You said, what is that? Just big nerd, all right? And so I just love studying. I love research projects. I was re doing, I mean, the teacher said, all right, we're going to do a research project. I'm the only kid and it says, woohoo! The, uh, the teachers would say, well, there's a minimum of three pages. I said, what's the maximum? And they would look at me and say, there's none. I said, all right, you're going to regret it. Three notebooks later, here you go. My teacher would stop halfway through and said, I'm not reading the rest of this. Here you go. I mean, I'm a nerd. I, I understand that. But God could do stuff like that. So what's God going to do with a nerd? So I get ready to graduate high school. And as I'm getting ready to graduate high school, I said, well, I'm a Christian. I'm supposed to give the choice to God. I could go to pretty much whatever college I wanted to go to. So I'm supposed to leave the choice to God. God, what college do you want to go to? Join the Air Force. No, 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 no. You didn't understand the question. What college do you want me to go to? Join the Air Force. And by the way, God knew what he was doing. Because if I went to college straight out of high school as I was, I would have been educated to the point of ignorance. I would have been so smart that I wouldn't have believed the Bible anymore. Do you know there's people like that? Now, does that mean that the Bible's not true? No, the Bible's true and there's many smart people who believe that. But you could be educated to the place where you don't think it's true. 
And so I joined the Air Force. Still got to be a scientist. I got to be a lab tech. I got to play with viruses and bacterias and microscopes. It was great, wonderful. I spent a lot of time in there. But every base that I went to, there happened to be a small church that I could go attend to and a pastor loved a dorky little Air Force guy and fell in love with me. They parked me in Phoenix, Arizona, and the Air Force forgot about me, and I never reminded about them. Lived in the warm, forget South Dakota, man. It was 75-degree Christmases. It was wonderful. 110 summers, no problem whatsoever. 100 degrees, I'm door knocking, having a great time. Perfect temperature, let's go. You guys don't want 100 degrees, I understand. I'm weird. And I served with my pastor, and I worked with him, and I grew And my pastor once came to me and said, you know what? I want to start a Bible college. And I believe that you would be good for it. Why don't you go to Bible college yourself and get the credentials so we can come back and study? He says, I want you to consider this. And a couple other people came to me and consider it. And they said, I know you don't need to go because you're a nerd and you like to study. But there's something about going to Bible college that teaches you submit and to live by faith. He said, right now, you don't have to live by faith. I mean, you're comfortable. Why don't you go somewhere where you have to stretch yourself and you have to trust God? Well, I look at my wife in my month-old child. Sure, we'll go to Bible college and be poor. I had also broken my back then. You said, what, what did that happen? Well, as a young man, I studied revivals. I studied men of God and how they were used. And every single one of them had the same thing in common. Pain and suffering. And so as a young man, I said, God, whatever it takes to make me the man of God, you're allowed to do. And God said, okay. And broke my back. The spine, my spine, the ligaments that hold my spine together are torn. And so my spine, because it doesn't have stability, continues to twist and wobble. I usually have two to three herniated discs at a time. And since the year 2000, the summer of 2000, when my back broke, I haven't really had a day without pain ever since. But that was an answer to prayer. Because why? I have to depend upon God. I can't do it myself. It has to be God. Therefore, I will glory in my infirmities for when I'm weak, he is strong. And God had to teach me that in setting things in order. And so, as I broke my back, God said, I'm going to make sure you go to college. You lost your job. Why? Because I couldn't walk anymore. I fell in the middle of a parking lot. My legs would give out and I couldn't take care of patients anymore working in a hospital. And so, all right, well, I don't have a job. Might as well go to college then. Being an old student, old, old student, my wife, my child. So let's go move across the country. And we arrived in Knoxville with $15 to our name, knowing nobody, nowhere to live, nowhere to go. Woohoo! Trusting God. Now I'm not complaining. I'm saying we had to step out for faith. And God took care of us and it was, didn't mean that we were full of things, but we watched God work. There'd be times we had, while I was in Bible college, I had two more children in the middle of Bible college. Because that's what you're supposed to do, you know, add to the fun that's having on. And all three kids are in diapers. And you know, diapers are expensive. And there were times that we put the last diaper on the child and we say, we don't know what we're going to do. So we prayed. And we woke up the next morning and as I'm walking out the door to go to school, there's a package of diapers on our porch. And we didn't tell anybody about it. And there was no note or anything, just somebody just left it there. 
That was God working. And God worked. And I could tell you story after story after story. I'm just trying to give you an illustration that we can have our own story about what God has done for us and what God has led us to. And that we can take the time to tell someone else of what God has done for us. To set things in order. And let me tell you the things about Christ is true. That here Dr. Luke cared enough about a person, not just a person, his old slave master that owned him. And he said... I want you to know these things about Christ. I want to set these things in order. I took the time to interview people. I took, by the way, this wasn't just a little weekend trip. This was hundreds of hours he put together interviewing, putting things in order. If you've never put things in order like a book or something, it takes a while. I have people ask all the time, how long did it take to put the chronological study Bible together? 10 years. It's a lot of time to dedicate to a project. Now, again, not complaining, but I'm saying we're trying to compare Dr. Luke. He could, did all of this work. And it wasn't for public. It wasn't for a church. It was for one person. I'm going to put all of this time and this effort, this interview to put things because I have someone in mind. So as he's interviewing Mary, what he's saying, I'm thinking about Theophilus. When he's interviewing Paul... I'm thinking about this one person. I want him to get saved. I want him to know Christ. I want him to know the things that are in order. I want him to believe like I do. I want him not to be confused. I'm putting all this work because I want this one person to know without a doubt who Christ is. So, what are my point? Who's that one person that you're concerned over? And what are you willing to invest to get to them? There's something about a personal letter. Email is, and texting is so impersonal. And it's very hard to not get the emotions right. Someone could write in there, hey, that's a good. And we're like, is that sarcastic? Is it not? It, it doesn't get across. But there's something about a handwritten letter that's personal. A handwritten letter that there's time taken to it. I mean, it doesn't take any time to write a text. But it takes some time and some effort, some muscle cramps. To write something personal. Maybe there's someone in your life that you could just write a personal letter to. And say, I want you just to know that these things are true. And here's some evidence. Maybe you want to give your story. I want to tell you how I came to know Christ. Maybe it's something that I want you to know who Christ is. Let me tell you some things about Christ. Maybe I want to tell you what God's done in my life to change my life. What he happened since I came to know life. How my life is different because of what Christ has done for me. To write and put these things into order. Again, the, uh, Dr. Luke took time to write the gospel record of Luke and the book of Acts to an audience of one. I want you to know, O Theophilus, the certainty of these things. I want to know. I care enough about you that I'm writing this big letter. By the way, the gospel record of Luke is bigger than all the rest of the gospel records. The book of Acts is pretty intense. A lot of action, a lot of narrative for one person. So what about you, dear friend? What is that one person and what are they worth to you? What is it worth? You know how many people who may be saved who would actually go to church? If you wrote them a personal letter and said, let me tell you why church has changed me. There may be someone who's backslidden that if you write a personal letter to them, maybe what they need that 
they care enough for me to think about, am I going to heaven? Am I going to church? Am I right with God? Does someone take that time to actually show that they care to write unto them? Now, there's many other things you can do. Maybe it's a telephone call. You care enough to give them a telephone call, not a text, a telephone call, and say, I want to just spend some time with you. Maybe you could take someone to lunch and pay for it and say, listen, I want to pay for a lunch so that way you're a captive audience, so that way I could talk to you about what's happening in my life. What is it that you can do for the people that you care to invest in them and let them know that they can have a surety, no for certainty, of the things that have happened concerning Christ. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three zero eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.